Hey, I am really, really excited about the lesson tonight. I'm really excited about this uh, time together. It's one of my favorite uh, subjects, and one of the reasons it's one of my favorite subjects is because uh, uh, it's a subject that uh, is for everybody because, as I said last week, everyone is a leader. Everyone is a leader. Everyone is leading someone. You might be leading them wrong. <laughs> uh, you might uh, be leading them astray, uh, but you're still a leader. You might not think you are a leader. Uh, it may not feel like you are a leader. Uh, you might not have a position. You might not have a title. But if you have anyone following you or looking up to you, you're a leader. If you're a spouse, you're a leader. Uh, if you're a parent, you're a leader. If you're somebody's friend, you're a leader. And leaders have responsibilities. They're responsible to the ones following them. We began last Wednesday night talking about what I call A-plus leaders. A-plus leaders. See, anyone can be an average or below average leader. Amanda, we got a new one back there. Um, all you have to do is show up, right? And mark time. But who wants to do that? Certainly not me. I want to be an A-plus leader. I want to lead with excellence. How about you? So last uh, Wednesday night, we uh, shared the fact that A-plus leaders must learn many things. Three things we talked about last Wednesday night. First of all, an A-plus leader must learn how to apologize. Very, very important for a for an for excellence and leadership to learn how to apologize. A-plus leaders own their mistakes. They don't play the blame game. They learn how to apologize. Number two, we talked about the fact that they learn how to ascend. They take the high road. They go the second mile. A-plus leaders come early and stay late. They're not clock watchers. Number three, A-plus leaders learn how to accept. Learn how to accept. We talked about three things they learn how to accept. They learn how to accept people. We said last week that people are your greatest asset, but they're also your greatest aggravation. One pastor said, Ministry would be awesome if it weren't for the people. What he didn't understand was without the people, there was no ministry. Not only do they have to learn how to accept people, but they need to learn how to accept places. Places. You shoot yourself in the foot or maybe even in the head when you're always talking about the place you just came from. The question I have, if it was so good over there, what are you doing over here? We need to be careful about comparing places and talking about former places. And, you know. 
Learn to accept the place where you are. Learn to excel there. Truth of the matter is, unless you're faithful where you are, God's not going to put you somewhere else. The Word says if you're not faithful with what that which is another's, who's going to give you, or how are you going to you know, handle what is your own? And then problems. Learn how to accept problems. We talked about how to deal with problems. Well, that was last Wednesday, but this is this Wednesday, so let's get going because I've got four things tonight, and uh, I think they're really, really, some really good stuff tonight. Of course you do. You wrote the lesson. <laughs> A-plus leaders, number four, A-plus leaders learn how to acknowledge. They learn how to acknowledge. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. For who? For you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. The Word of God says God has a plan for you. God doesn't just have a plan for the pastor or the evangelist or the teacher, or the, min- or the missionary. God has a plan for you. He has a future for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. And so it is with the body of Christ. So the Bible tells us that all of us are a part of the body of Christ. We don't know what that part is, but we are a part. An older minister prayed and asked God, this is a true story, I know the man, tr- prayed and asked God what his, where he fit in the body of Christ. God told him he was the big toe. It offended him. He said, God, I'm the big toe. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a man of God. I'm God's man of faith and power for the hour. You know, know, I've been all over the world. I preach the gospel to thousands. And you say, I'm the big toe? God said the big toe gives balance to the body. Cut off the big toe and you lose balance. He said, I'm the big toe. I give balance to the body. Pretty awesome, isn't it? God has a place for you in his body. He has a place for you in his work, in his kingdom. And it's important. It's vital. Vital. Have you ever played that game? It's not really a game, but have you ever thought, you know, if I had to do without something, what what could I do, you know, if I had... Had a choice. I had to do without either. Let's say I had to do without seeing my sight or my hearing. Which one would I? You know, have you ever played that game? Have you ever thought that way? Is that just weird and crazy? <laughs> it is a little weird and crazy, but you know, how do you make a choice like that? We take advantage, or we take our eyes for granted until we don't have them, right? Whatever the Whatever, but there's a place. The Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And God made you the way you are for a specific purpose. Go back to our notes. A-plus leaders learn how to acknowledge. What I'm saying is understand who you are. You need to acknowledge who you are. Understand who you are. Understand who you are not. And then learn to appreciate who you are. I just wish I was like so-and-so. Well, why wouldn't I like so-and-so? No. Discover who you are. Discover who you're not. And learn to appreciate who you are. And learn to accept who you are not. I am not Joel Osteen. Pretty obvious, isn't it? I have no stones to throw at Joel Osteen. I don't throw rocks at other preachers. I'm just saying I'm not him. But it doesn't make me right or him wrong. It just I'm who I am. He's who he is. Learn to acknowledge. Learn, understand who you are. Understand who you're not. Learn to appreciate who you are. Learn to accept who you are not. To make out of you. Someone God did not intend you to be. And here's big. Don't allow other people. And let me tell you something. You may not be who you think you are. You may not be who you think you are. And you're probably not who you want to be. (laughs) I've been called a bulldog. Okay. I can be offended at that, or I can say, you know what? The places God has placed me in my ministry, especially the last 25 years. You've heard me say it if you've been around very long, but, you know, a basset hound couldn't get the job done. It was the job for a bulldog. I can sit around and say, I wish I was a basset hound all day long. I'm not a basset hound. I'm a bulldog, okay? Bulldogs can do what basset hounds can't do. Basset hounds can do what bulldogs can't do. They just have different purposes, not one better than the other, just different. So don't allow other people to make out of you someone God did not intend you to be. Understand who, back to your notes, understand who, and what the members uh, on your team are. Now, we're talking about a team. We could talk, you know, a husband, a wife, or a team. A family is a team. A ministry is a team. A business or workplace is a team. So this works for, for everything, right? See what I'm talking about? It's leadership principles. Whether you're the president of a corporation or you're the husband or the father or the mother or the wife or the leader over the children's department or whatever it might be. So understand who and what the members on your team are. Don't expect from them what they are not capable of giving you. 
That's why you need to understand who they are and who they're not. You understand who you are and who you're not. Place them, back to your notes, place them in positions that match their strengths. When you do that, you set people up for success instead of setting them up for failure. Too often we set people up for failure because even though they are a good person and they are a gifted person, but we have placed them in a position that is not in line with their giftings. And so when you're in a position that is not in line with your giftings, the best you can do is average. That's why you need to know who you are and who you're not. You need to know who the people on, on your team, who they are and who they're not, and strategically place them in line with their gifts. Because if you strategically place them in line with their gifts, they will excel if they've got some, you know, some drive and some determination and, you know, good work ethic. If, but if you, if, you, if you put them, you know, uh, outside of their giftings, the best they're going to do is, is, is average. Back to your notes, don't expect a square peg to fit in a round hole. And here's what I've discovered. We tend to be most intolerant. We tend to be most intolerant of people who don't have our strengths. See, just because something comes easy for us, just because something comes easy for us doesn't mean it does for everyone. We all have different strengths and weaknesses. Don't ask me to help you with technology. Okay. I'm not going to ask some of you to preach. Okay. And we're all good with that, right? On both, in both sense of the, both sides of that. All right, so we're talking about A-plus leaders. They, number four, they learn how to acknowledge. Number five, A-plus leaders must learn how to appreciate. They must learn how to appreciate. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11 says, Comfort and edify and build one another up. See, no one likes to be taken for granted. Anybody here like to be taken for granted? See, we're talking about leadership right now, but you know what? It's good marriage teaching, too. It's just good all the way through. No one likes to be taken for granted. Everyone wants to feel appreciated. Everyone wants to feel appreciated. And let me tell you that people above you as well as people below you. People above you, as well as people below you, want to feel appreciated. If you're a leader and you got people below you, those people below you, they need to feel, they need to know that you appreciate them, and you need to let them know it, and they need to know that you appreciate them. But let me tell you something. You know, those that are under somebody, and you think, oh, they've just, you know, whatever, they've got it all, whatever. you know what? They need to feel you appreciate them, too. And they need to know, when they appreciate you, you need, they need to know you appreciate them appreciating you. Does that make sense? Because here's what I know. What gets appreciated gets, repeat, gets repeated. 
What gets appreciated gets repeated. If you want them to keep on doing it, affirm them. Brag on them. Make a big deal about it. Your wife worked eight hours, nine hours, drove through traffic, came home, made dinner. And you don't even help her with the dishes. And you, you know, complain because she didn't fix your favorite dish. And you wonder why she didn't cook for three weeks. Or maybe the man's doing the cooking because they're doing that as much nowadays as the women. Whatever. Hey, uh, you want something repeated, practice appreciation. Um, Make a big deal out of it. Not flattery. Not talking about flattery. Flattery is sin. Because flattery, you know, that it's not real. It's not genuine. It has ulterior motives. Not talking about flattery. Talk about, in your notes, sincere appreciation. Sincere appreciation. And here's how to do it. Brag on them in private. Brag on them in private. Say, man, that was awesome. Thank you. Man, you did a great job. Wow. Or send them a text or send them an email. Brag on them in private. But don't just brag on them in private. Brag on them in public. Brag on them in public. Man, you know what? Man, this, you know, I gave this job to so-and-so, and man, they just, man, they just didn't. They just put it on the top shelf, and man, they are awesome. They're incredible, and man, you know, make a big deal out of it because it is a big deal. And go a step further. Don't just brag on them in private. Don't just brag on them in public. Brag to their family about them. Brag to their family about them. Let me tell you something that I do with my staff. If one of my staff members, if they're, Let's just take Pastor Steve, who just left for New York. When his mom and dad would come here and visit them from, from, uh, from uh, Kansas City, where Steve was from, I'd tell his mama, man, you raised a good boy. I'd tell his mama, man, he, man he's making me a hand. I'd tell his daddy, man, you got a good son here, man. You're, you're, your son, you can be, you ought to be proud of your son. And your son's doing us a great job here. Love him like a son. Guess what? I'm not a betting man. I don't bet on anything. But I just almost, if I bet on anything, I'd bet on this. At lunch, Steve's dad said, oh, your pastor, he likes you. You're, your pastor's proud of you. You're, you know, your, pastor, your pastor says you're doing a good job. What do you think that does to Steve? What do you think that does to Steve? Tell my mother-in-law, you did good with this girl. You raised a good daughter. I tell my mother-in-law, your, 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 your daughter, your daughter is 
superwoman. She's an awesome wife, incredible mother, awesome grandmother, and, and number one pastor's wife. I tell my mother-in-law that. I have a hunch her mother tells her, you know, Mike, pretty proud of you. Back to your notes, the greatest motivator, the greatest motivator is appreciation. And so the greatest demotivator, if that's a word, is a lack of appreciation. Okay? So we're talking about A-plus leaders. They have to learn. They have to learn how to appreciate. Number six, A-plus leaders learn how to assist. Learn how to assist. I'm not going to read it because it's lengthy, but over in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, it's a story. Remember the story of the paralytic, the, the man that was paralyzed, but he had four friends, and the four friends put him on a cot and carried him to where Jesus was. And when they got to where Jesus was, the house was full. They couldn't get him in the door, and so they climbed up on the roof of the house, and they took off some of the tile off of the, off of the roof, and they tied ropes onto the, onto the cot and lowered the friend into where Jesus was. And the Bible says that when Jesus saw their faith, that he healed the man, and the man rolled up his cot and, and went home. Remember that story? Keep that in mind when, when I'm talking about A-plus leaders learn how to assist. B and C leaders, what I would call B and C leaders, are not, excuse me, B and C leaders are only concerned with their program and their area of responsibility. A plus or excellent leaders see the big picture. They see the big picture. A plus or excellent leaders are concerned with the whole the whole. They see the whole picture. They're concerned with the whole. They're, they're, they're not concerned with, with who gets the credit. I, I don't know who the leader was, but there had to be a leader, didn't there, for, for them to get this man to where Jesus was. Somebody had to be the leader. And maybe all of them had leadership abilities. But somehow, I don't know if they voted, I don't know if just one was stronger personality or whatever, but, you know, one became the leader, evidently, and the other three assisted. And without the leader and the assistance of the others, they would not have gotten their friend to Jesus, would not have gotten him uh, healed, would they? And so, And so at least three of those guys had to be unconcerned about who got the credit. I, I just wonder, I don't know. It doesn't say, but you know, when they come lowering that, you know, him into there, into the, where Jesus was, and people look up there and see that the tile has been taken off, and there's a hole in the roof, and there's, there's here's this guy being lowered down. Surely somebody said, wow, wonder whose idea that was. I wonder if all four hands went up, or I don't know. I don't know. But A-plus leaders are concerned with the whole. They see the big picture. They're not concerned with who gets the credit. A-plus leaders lend a hand. 
They lend a hand. They become cheerleaders. for leaders leading in a different area than them. I have several staff members. Every one of them have a different, wear a different hat. They have a different area of expertise. They have a different ministry. And I expect them to think that their ministry is the most important ministry in the church. I expect them to think that. They can think it, because that's, and they do think it, because that's where their heart is. But I have to tell them that they have to see the big picture and it's not all about youth ministry and it's not all about children's ministry and it's not all about worship it's not all about women's ministry they're all a part of the whole yes it's what drives you yes it's what's most important to you yes that's where you lead and when you lead that you need to lead it with great passion and enthusiasm and think it's the greatest thing in the world but you have to see the big picture, and the big picture is the grace place and how you fit into the grace place. And so at some time, you're going to lead your ministry, but on the other hand, you have to also understand that when something else is needed and another ministry is needing some help, then you're willing to lend a hand. So A-plus or excellent leaders lend a hand. They become cheerleaders for leaders leading in a different area than them. They understand that they are not the leader in this area, so they do not try to take over. And that's hard for a leader. But a good leader learns how not only to lead, but they also learn when they are not the leader then how to lend a hand, blend in, and follow. And so since they understand that they are not the leader in this area, so they do not try to take over, then they have to learn how to give input without hurting someone's feelings or making them feel threatened. That's a nice tight wire to walk. A plus leaders understand the law of sowing and reaping. You see, only those who are willing to assist others can expect others to assist assist them. Assisting others is good seed to sow. Because what you reap, you sow, correct? A-plus leaders become A-plus followers when they are assisting another leader. It goes like this. They follow their leader in the way they want their leader. Uh, they follow their leader in the way they want their followers to follow them. At the Grace Place, I'm chairman of the board. I'm not, uh, I'm chairman of the board. And as chairman of the board, I chair the board and I lead the board. 
I'm on a ministry board outside of this church that I'm not the chairman of the board. When I'm chairman of the board of the Grace Place, I set the agenda and I lead the board. But when I go to this ministry that I'm a board member of but not the chairman of the board, I don't sit in the chairman's chair and I don't lead the meeting from the side. Although I am still a leader, I'm not the leader. I'm a leader there, but I'm not the leader. And so I put on a different hat there. And I can tell you that I don't always agree with our chairman. But I let him lead. He's the leader. I give my input when I ask. Not always ask. But when I'm asked, I give my input. And that's where it stops. And he's the leader. And if it's, you know, if we take a vote, then I vote. But if not, it's just input. I just give input. And, but... If he's not totally out of line in my mind, I just file in right behind him because he's the leader. And he's not doing anything unethical or immoral or anything. I just may not agree totally with what, he, what his decision is, but he's the leader. He has the authority. And so, you know what? Sometimes my guys on my board may not 100% agree but it's not immoral, it's not unethical, it's just, you know, a difference of maybe taste or preference or whatever. And so, you know what, by the end of the day, I expect them to file in behind me and say, up two, up two, let's go, we're behind you. Well, how can I expect that from my board if I'm, as a board member, not willing to do that for my chairman? Does that make sense? So A-plus leaders become A-plus followers when they are assisting another leader. So A-plus leaders learn how to assist. Number seven, we're doing good here. On time I'm talking about. Number seven, final tonight, but there's quite a bit to this. A-plus leaders learn how to adjust. A-plus leaders learn how to Adjust. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 and 4. I like what the Living Bible, I know it's a paraphrase, but it says it great. It says, any enterprise is built by wise planning. It becomes strong through common sense and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. An analogy. In your notes, a good coach, a good coach has a game plan. Every good coach goes, he doesn't just, you know, go into the game and just, you know, just randomly call off plays. He, he, he studied the other team. He knows their weaknesses. He knows their strengths. You know, he, he knows in theory what will work better than what might 
than, than something else. And so he puts together a game plan. A good coach has a game plan. A great coach will adjust his plan. during the game. Like I said, a a good coach has a game plan. And on paper, I mean, no, you can do a lot of things on paper. I built four churches and I think four additions to churches, and I'm going to tell you that an architect can put something on paper that a carpenter can't make happen. Okay? Okay. A game plan looks good on paper, and it's good. And the Bible talks about planning, and a, and, and, and a good coach has, ha, has a game plan. And in theory, you know, in theory, this will work. But then he gets into the game and finds out that, you know what, they also did their homework, and, you know, what, they were weak at the game before when they looked, when they looked at the game film, and they were weak at before. They fixed that during that week. And so now what they thought they were going to be weak at, and so we're going to go this side and it's going to work. Well, they fixed it, and so now it doesn't work. Does that make sense? And so now, since it, it's not working, it, what in theory isn't working, all right, okay, he can either be hard-headed and say, hey, you know, it says right here on this game plan this will work, so we're just going to keep doing it until it works. Well, you ought to do it enough times to figure out, you know, whether it is or not. You don't give up the first time or maybe even not even the second time. But there comes a time when you got to make an adjustment to the plan. And so a good coach has a game plan. A great coach will adjust his plan. Successful leadership is all about knowing when And where and what to adjust. So A-plus or excellent leaders must also know how to adjust. An airline pilot who adjusts too little might fly into a mountain. On the other hand, the pilot who adjusts too much might miss his destination. If we fail to adjust correctly, we could either crash or totally miss our intended destination. So let's talk about three areas where A-plus or excellent leaders adjust. Three areas A-plus leaders adjust to. Number one, circumstances. Circumstances. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Proverbs 24 and 10. See, we do not live in a perfect world. We do not live in a perfect world. And I've already said this, but it's in the note here, so I've got to say it again. What looks good on paper doesn't always work out in reality. So A-plus or excellent leaders are quick on their feet. They are quick 
on their feet. When plan A is not working, they quickly switch to plan B. B, C, and D leaders don't have a plan B. In fact, C and D leaders probably don't have a plan A. Okay, so three areas that A-plus or excellent leaders adjust to. They adjust to circumstances. Number two, they adjust to change. They have to adjust to change. Proverbs 21 and 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. But those of everyone who is hasty... Surely to poverty. B, back to our notes, B, C, and D, everyone else is changing. B, C, and D leaders change when everyone else is changing. They follow the fads. And if they follow the fads, then they're not really leaders at all, really, are they? They're just duplicators. Leaders change. They're just followers who happen to hold the position of a leader. And so they get on the Internet and find out what everybody else is doing. And they do that. And people say they're good leaders because they're doing what everybody else is doing. That's what B, C, and D leaders. B, C, and D leaders change when everyone else is changing. A-plus or excellent leaders change when change is actually needed. I'm thinking of a pastor right now. say his name, but I'm thinking of a pastor I know very well that just goes from one fad to the next, one thing to the next. By the time the people get what he wants them to do, he now wants them to do something else. And by the time they finally adapt and understand what he wants them to do now, the new fad comes along, and now they're doing that. And when he was doing this over here, he said, this is the only thing. We've got to do this now. This is the way to go. This is it. This is it. But now we're going to totally different, you know, it's like he's schizophrenic. No wonder the people are crazy, mixed up. We'll follow you, sir, if we just knew where you were going. <laughs> Does that make sense? B, C, and D leaders change when everyone else is changing. Excellent. A-plus leaders change when change is actually needed. B, C, and D leaders change things because of personal preference. 
They don't necessarily do what's best for the team or for the ministry or for the family or for uh, whatever it is they're leading. They don't, they don't necessarily do what's best for whatever it is they are leading. They do what they want to do, what their preference is. A-plus leaders change things for the good of the whole. All right, the last one, the last area that A-plus or excellent leaders adjust to is they have to learn how to adjust to criticism. We talked a little bit about this last week, but this is some good stuff here, so I'm going to cover it. I love this verse. I found it years ago, and I just love it. <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and 21 says, Do not take to heart everything people say lest you hear someone cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. We get so upset because we hear someone's talking about us, but in reality, we have talked about others. We get all up in the air because someone criticizes us when in reality we are guilty of criticizing others. Correct? Isn't that an awesome verse? It's so good I've got to read it again. Ecclesiastes 7 and 21. Do not take to heart everything people say because you might, unless you hear someone cursing you or, or criticizing you. And the reason is for many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed or criticized others. Back to our notes, no one likes to be criticized. No one likes to be criticized. Criticism hurts our feelings. Doesn't matter if you're a type A personality, don't matter how strong you are, doesn't matter. No one likes to be criticized. Criticism hurts our feelings. Sometimes criticism is unfair and unfounded but sometimes it is justified years ago I mean I'm talking years ago 40 years ago (laughs) I hate to say it but it was 40 years ago I was an evangelist I was traveling around preaching revivals every week I was just uh, in my early 20s. And one night after revival service, an older pastor, I say older, he's probably my age. <laughs> but he's old to me when I was in my 20s. An older pastor, wasn't the pastor of that church, but just an older pastor that was visiting the revival, talked to me after service, and he said, young man, I'd like to give you some counsel. I said, okay. He said, young man, he said, first of all, he said, you know, for a young man, he said, you, you know, you, you, you know you, you, you've got fire, you've got enthusiasm, you know, you're anointed, uh, you've got a, you know, you've got a good solid word for a man your age, you know, you got some, you know, 
say I was deep. I wasn't. But, you know, for your age, you know, you've got a good old message that you're sharing, whatever. But he said, he said, son, he said, you've got a, an annoying habit in your delivery. And he told me what that annoying habit was. And he said, it, it's, 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 it's very distracting. And, and you need to correct it now while you're young. And so I blew him off. What is this old coot? No, you know. I'm the one preaching revival. He wasn't a preacher that night. I'm the preacher. He ain't out preaching revivals. He ain't getting revivals every week like I am, man, you know. I went, we were traveling in a little travel trailer. That's what you did back then. Me and my wife were traveling a little travel trailer. And after church, we went back to our travel trailer. And I said, ha, honey, I said, you know, some old coot tonight. It's an old preacher cornered me and, you know, criticized me and told her what he said and, and uh, said, probably just jealous. My wife said, honey, I've been trying to tell you that. I've been trying to tell you that, but you won't listen. Now somebody else has told you. Well, I went out and bought our tape recorder. How many remember tape recorders? And I started taping my sermons, and there it was. And you can thank God and that old coot. No. You can thank that older gentleman who correct. Sometimes criticism is unfair and unfounded. Sometimes it is just a, a younger preacher. Even if it's justified, it's still hard pill to swallow, right? No one likes to be criticized. Criticism hurts our feelings. Let me give you some questions to ask yourself about criticism. Questions to ask yourself about criticism. Ask yourself, who is criticizing? You got criticized? Who is criticizing? Who is this that's criticizing? Do they have an agenda? Do they have an agenda? Uh, do they have any credentials? Did that pastor have any credentials to talk to me? Yes, he did. He also was a minister, a seasoned minister, talking to a rookie preacher. He had credentials. He had the right. I think we still got to go about it the right way. But he, he had asked, do they have credentials? I'm going to tell you something. I'm sorry. I'm going to make some, you know, body mad. But if you've never played football, if you've never coached football, You have no credentials to sit there and yell at the TV when that professional football coach makes a call that you don't agree with. And he's a Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Super Bowl ring on his finger coach. Right? 
Oh, we're all going to do it. I'm, I know we're going to do it. I do it. I mean, I played football, never coached football, but I played. I understand football. And, yeah, but, but who, ask yourself, who, who is criticizing? Do they have an agenda? Do they have any credentials? Do they know what they're talking about? Do they possess a critical spirit? Because some people just criticize everything. They criticize the church when they come to church. They criticize their mate when they go home. They criticize the food when it's served to them at the restaurant, the waiter, their boss. They're just critical people. That's something you need to consider when you're being criticized. Who is criticizing? Then the second question you need to ask about criticism is what are they saying? What are they saying? And is anyone else saying this? What was that man telling me? He was telling me you've got an annoying habit in your delivery of your preaching. Well, who else is saying it? Well, when I went home, my wife said she had been telling me, but I wasn't listening. So ask yourself, you know, what are they saying? You know, you're a chef and you serve the meal and somebody says it's not good. Well, who else is saying it's not good? And then the third question you need to ask yourself is, how many are there? Who is criticizing? What are they saying? Is anyone else saying this? And, and how many are there? How many are, how, you know. Listen, here's, here's the way I've operated my ministry for 43 years. If a few people have a problem, and how many know that if we have over 600, and maybe it may be more than that now, maybe 700 that, you know, that say they come to our church. You know, some come every Sunday and some come Easter and Christmas, but they say they come to our church. So how many know that if out of 600 to 700 people that attend our church, somebody's going to have a problem, right? How many know I'm not going to please 600, 700 people every time, all the time? So I have to ask myself, you know, uh, Who's criticizing? What are they saying? Is anyone else saying it? How many of them are there? If a few people have a problem, it's their problem. That's the way I operate my ministry. If a few people have a problem, it's their problem out of 600. If a lot of people have a problem, (laughs) now it's my problem. It's my problem to solve. Does that make sense? And then the fourth question you need to ask is, how loud are their voices? How loud are their voices? There's an old Indian saying. There's an old Indian saying. You just lay it right there, Gene. Thank you, man. Special delivery from my buddy right there, man. I'll tell you what. Every Wednesday night. Look at that. Brownie's waiting on me. Woo! Ha! You the man, Gene. 
How loud are their voices? And there's an old Indian saying. I heard this years ago, and I, and I, man, this is awesome. And it's true. If you listen to the whispers, you won't have to hear the screams. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? If you listen to the whispers, you won't have to hear the screams. Now, I can't, this is a blanket statement, and it's not fair to make blanket statements, but it's still true in many instances. Many instances of divorce is because they didn't listen to the whispers. Okay? Like I said, this is leadership, but it works for everything, doesn't it? And guys and gals, if we would listen to our wives and our husbands when they whisper to us about things, we wouldn't have to hear them scream. If we would take care of things when they're small, they wouldn't grow to be big. And I know that's a blanket thing, and there's a lot of variables. I understand that, but basically, would you agree? If you listen to the whispers... You won't have to hear the screams. And then the final question that you need to ask yourself about criticism is, is this a hill I'm willing to die on? You'll have to finish writing that out because it didn't get printed all the way out. Is this a hill I'm willing to die on? See, don't fight every battle whether that's in your ministry, in your, uh, on your job, uh, in your marriage. Don't fight every battle. The reason why the first year of marriage is usually the hardest because we fight every battle. We fight every battle. Good news about that first year is, too, though, you get to make up. That's, that's good. But, but when you're in marriage for a while, you learn, eh, I'm not fighting that battle. I'm not going there because I've been there before and it wasn't good. didn't come out good. Because here's what we need to understand. All battles produce casualties. All battles produce casualties. There are things that I don't say from the pulpit anymore that I used to say. And there was nothing wrong with what I was saying. And I was saying them in jest. And 90% of the people understood it was a joke. They laughed. It was funny. It was. But there was a handful of people, there was a few people that it offended. They couldn't grasp it. They didn't understand that it was a joke. Joke! I don't say it anymore. I just don't say anymore. You know why? It's not a battle worth fighting. It's silly. When I was younger, I did it. I'd just say, if they can't get it, it's their problem. If they can't. But now I realize, you know what? It's not just their problem because their problem has become my problem. And so it's silly. And so I just don't go there anymore. Same way in my marriage. There are places I just don't, there's some places I just don't go. Or if I do, it's a slip. And when I've slipped, I go, oh, oops, I was dumb. I've been there before done that before. It didn't turn out well. Don't fight every battle. 
Ask yourself, is this a hill I'm willing to die on? Don't fight every battle because all battles produce casualties. Weigh the benefit against the casualties. Weigh the benefits against the casualties. And only fight the battles you can win. And if you do fight, fight to win. That make sense? All right, we're talking about A-plus or excellent leaders. And this will help you. It'll help if you're a boss at work. This stuff will help you if you'll implement it. If you're married, it'll help you if you implement this in your, in your marriage. It'll help you if you implement it in your family with your, with your kids. It will help you with your, with, your, with your friends. It'll help you in every area. Because when we think of leadership, we only think about being a boss. But leadership is much, much more than that. Father, thank you for some really, really good principles that are, ble- that are based upon your word. God, I pray that you'll help us, Father, not only to be hearers, but become doers of your word. Help us, Father, to uh, implement what we have re- received tonight. Bless these that have made the effort to come out tonight and uh, bring us back Sunday. Help us to have another fabulous day in your house on Sunday and come back next Wednesday for some more good practical teaching on leadership. In Jesus' name. Amen.